Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes graphic descriptions of medical horror, violence against minors, illicit drug use, and some suggestive language. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It happens every day in hotels around the world. After a long night of work, a stranger walks into a bar and finds a femme fatale. She invites him up to her hotel room for what he thinks will be a pleasant end to a successful day. He wakes up in a bathtub full of ice. The femme fatale and one of his kidneys are nowhere to be found. In an era where an ailing body can mean life-ending medical debt or the end of life itself, it's no surprise that rumors of organ theft have become prevalent. Warnings come from high and low, tales ranging from wealthy travelers cut up in Las Vegas hotels to low-income children spirited away to grimy operating rooms. But the message remains the same. You never know what a stranger wants, and they may not ask before taking. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, we take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth and share their stories. This episode is part of our Urban Legends Halloween special. Every day for the month of October, we're presenting our spooky spin on an urban legend, then diving into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Today, we explore an urban legend that has inspired everything from mob violence to iconic memes. It's a disturbing cocktail of stranger danger and medical horror. A story of the most invasive theft one can imagine. That of your internal organs. Folklorist Jan Harald Brunvand contends that the kidney heist urban legend has its origins in a rumor that started spreading around 1987 in Latin America. A story in a Mexico City newspaper described a young girl found wandering the streets with a new scar on her back. When examined by doctors, they determined that one of her kidneys had been harvested. Locals in Guatemala and Honduras began to believe that their children would be stolen and their organs would be sold to Americans in need of transplants. The rumor spread quickly. Starting in March of 1994, the New York Times reported that American and European tourists were being attacked by mobs of locals in Guatemala, scared that these tourists had come to the country to steal the organs of their children. 
the potential kidnapping of a child by unknown perpetrators led to a group of citizens attacking a tourist in at least three separate incidents. The worst of these altercations left American tourist June Weinstock in a coma after sustaining permanent brain damage, as well as two broken arms, a fractured skull, and eight stab wounds. Both the United States Embassy and the State Department began to run damage control for the situation. The embassy had over 200 Peace Corps volunteers move from more rural posts to ones in the capital, while the State Department strongly encouraged any prospective visitors to reconsider traveling to Guatemala. But while this rumor about organ-stealing tourists spread through Latin America, the United States was developing its own version. Seth's plane had been delayed five hours. By the time he landed, his neck was painfully tight from the cramped seats, and his stomach groaned, demanding more sustenance than a tiny bag of salted peanuts. When he stepped out of the airport in St. Louis, he needed a stiff drink and a soft bed. He checked into his hotel and headed straight for the bar. It was a dim lounge with faded wallpaper and a carpet that had seen better days. But Seth didn't much care how it looked, as long as they served booze and burgers. There were several other stragglers sitting on wobbling bar stools. Seth glanced at the clock. 1 a.m. He held up his hand to catch the bartender's attention and ordered a cheeseburger and a scotch. Neat. The glass slid towards him with more finesse than Seth expected from a dingy hotel. He swallowed the comforting amber liquid feeling the burn in his throat tear through his frustrations. The burger was messy, but passable. A bit too much mayo for his liking. A woman was heading from the front desk to the bar. She was truly out of place. A vision of old Hollywood glamour wrapped up in a sleek and stylish little black dress. A slash of red lipstick curled around her smile, and her heavy lashes framed her bedroom eyes enough to make any man forget about a cramped airplane seat. She walked right past Seth, heading for a booth he hadn't even noticed. Seth watched as the bartender smirked to himself, checked his hair in the mirror behind him, and then headed over to her. They kept their heads bent low, speaking in whispers. The bartender made his way back to the bar. As he left, the unknown woman raised an imaginary glass in Seth's direction, giving him a little wink. Seth ordered two more glasses of scotch. When they came, he carried them both over to the back corner booth. He sat down, placing one of the glasses in front of her. She introduced herself as Veronica. They flirted easily, bantering, teasing, her fingers lightly stroking his. He couldn't figure out if he was the cat or the mouse. He wasn't used to this kind of uncertainty when talking to a woman, but something about the conversation gave him a thrill. Her eyes kept darting back towards the bar. She swallowed the rest of her drink and offered to get another. He finished the dregs of his scotch and handed the glass to her with a $50 bill. Veronica made a joke about leaving for the powder room, like an old movie. Panic slithered down his back. He didn't want her leaving without him. 
She stuffed the 50 down the front of her dress and then glided away with two empty glasses. She leaned in close to the bartender, whispering in his ear. Her lipstick left a stain against the bartender's skin, crimson like blood. Seth found the tightness that had been slowly leaving his shoulder in her company return in full force. The bartender was younger. Life hadn't kicked him around yet. He could see why Veronica might pick someone like that over himself, but he didn't have to like it. His hands gripped the table as he fought his own animalistic urge to drag her back to him. The bartender had no business interfering with their game of seduction. She left the bar and headed back towards him. Seth struggled to maintain his cool. He didn't want her to know the effect she was having on him. Women didn't like that. Veronica passed him a glass. He took a sip. They must have opened a new bottle. The taste was different. Still, scotch was scotch. He felt her high heel trace his ankle under the table. She grinned like a lioness, ready to tear the throat from an unsuspecting zebra. The heat between them was raising the temperature in the place. Seth loosened his tie and wiped at his brow. She raised a glass for her toast. He followed suit. To a thirst for danger. Hmm, you've never heard that one before. He clinked his glass against hers and took another sip. Seth's temples throbbed. Someone had turned the lights up at their table. That pesky bartender trying to ruin what was already in motion. Seth raised the cool glass to his forehead. He asked Veronica if the lights were too much for her as well. She raised one perfectly arched eyebrow and said, if you wanted a change of scene, she had a room upstairs. When she smiled, her canines flashed in the light. He found a smile spreading across his own lips in response. He told her he was ready, but the words came out slower, as though he was trying to clear maple syrup from his mouth while speaking. She didn't seem to notice. Veronica rose from the table and started walking. Seth got up and immediately sat back down again. The room tilted 45 degrees. His stomach protested loudly as bile rose in his throat. Two scotches didn't normally hit him this hard. The room continued to swim in his vision. He could feel his body sway with the movement. Veronica moved in and out of focus. He tried to reach for her, but his hand caught air. She was at his side in a moment, pulling him up from the table. The bile surged higher. He needed to stop for just a moment, get some air. He tried to make the words come, but his tongue was stuck to his mouth. It was swelteringly hot. He fumbled with the buttons at the top of his shirt. She moved his clumsy fingers aside to help. Her hands were cool against his skin. When he looked down, his skin was sliding off his body. He slumped to the side, falling out of Veronica's grasp. She reached for him, the light shining brightly on her face. Veronica looked different now. Her sparkly teeth were thin needles. Her face was sliding off a trail of red dripping from her lips towards the ground. Seth tried to back away, 
but he couldn't make his body move. She was looming over him. He called for help, but the word was tough. Too many sounds. He started over, but got stuck again. The bartender came over, and Seth tried to muster some feeling of gratitude. Instead of seeing what the problem was, the other man lifted him up, shoulder to shoulder, and carried him out of the lounge. Veronica was right behind them. Seth tried to hit the bartender, but it was utterly useless. His arms felt like lead weights, holding him down the harder he tried to raise them. He could hear the bartender talking to someone else, but he couldn't make out the words. Seth tried to say help again, but his tongue failed him. The entire hotel seemed to be slowly tilting off its axis as they reached the lobby. Seth couldn't hold it back this time. Vomit leaked out of his mouth and down the back of the bartender's uniform. The other man didn't stop or slow down. The world moved faster around Seth, spinning and spinning. They were in some sort of box. He could feel it pushing ever upwards, hurtling him towards the moon. Then, everything stopped with a crash. More vomit dribbled down onto a new floor. Veronica smiled at him. Her mouth was in her neck now, those needles shining, even with no light source. Then, Seth was on a bed. He struggled to make sense of the sounds around him, trying to detect some snatch of conversation. After listening so hard, his ears were ringing. He finally made out one word. Knife. Coming up, Seth discovers what Veronica really wants. Now, back to the legend. Seth had been drunk before. This wasn't alcohol. It was something stranger. His reconstruction of the night came in snatches. A long-haul flight, a beautiful woman, Veronica, a handsy bartender, a mediocre burger, and strange-tasting scotch. And now he was where? His room? Hers? Something cold was latching onto Seth's body. It made his skin tingle as he laid there on his stomach. He tried to look, but there was only black. He realized his face was pressed into the mattress. Seth didn't know when he'd changed positions. The cold sensation slithered down his lower back. Seth tried to turn around. An unseen force pressed down on him, hard and unforgiving, keeping him in his place. Seth turned his head. He could manage that movement, at least. His body was still slow, each centimeter taking an eternity. A blob that wore Veronica's pitch-black dress was to the side of him. He waited for his eyes to focus, but things stayed blurry. She was digging through a bulbous sack, a glint of metal caught his eye. She held it out, and Seth wondered if he was supposed to take it. He tried to make his hands move, but the metal slid away from him and below his gaze. 
pain bit into his skin with jagged teeth. Seth turned his back to the left and right, trying to dislodge whatever creature had decided to feast on his flesh. But it kept going. The teeth moved back and forth, sawing through muscle and scraping against bone. It moved away from his skin. Seth had a moment of relief. Before it started again, this time it was digging in a different direction. Tears pricked his eyes. He flexed his fingers, preparing for a fight. With staggering concentration, Seth lifted his right hand and reached for his back. The sawing stopped. Two people yelled at each other, but his brain still couldn't decipher their words. The pressure against his back let up. What seemed to be a man stood next to Veronica. He looked familiar, but Seth couldn't place him, even when his features snapped into focus before swimming away from him again. Seth moved his legs, pushing for the side of the bed. The lower half of his body made the journey, but there was still the upper half to contend with. He tried to push himself up off the bed, but his arms were so heavy. The pain in his back exploded. He spasmed and fell. The two blobs were still arguing. Seth pushed himself farther towards the left side of the bed. He kept his head to the right, watching for any signs that the two were catching on. When he pushed again, he felt air. His body fell to the floor. Adrenaline shot through Seth's system. His back was burning. The voices were getting louder. He stumbled up to his feet, feeling a bit steadier. He braced himself on the bed as he took a step. His legs wobbled. Veronica began to come into focus. As he watched, her stomach and her face appeared to swap places. Her belly button was stretching, making her head one giant hole. Those heavy lashes he admired earlier were growing across her torso, transforming her into an insect, the red of her lipstick becoming a bloody, wide-open mouth. He didn't see the man lunging for him until he was already in his grip, flailing, fighting against the man's massive strength as he tried to force him back to the bed. The pressure against his back brought black spots into his vision. Through the haze, he saw the bartender coming over, reaching to help the massive man that held him. Seth couldn't close his eyes. He needed to stay awake. His arms were numb. He tried to push them up enough to reach his back, but the bartender's grip remained firm. Seth needed more pain to stay alert. He surged against the bartender, and the other man's hold on him tightened. The black spots got larger. Seth's heart rate sped up. A strangled scream fell out of his mouth. His movements started to speed up. He was stuck in a spider's web, trying to slowly untangle his limbs from the slick, sticky strands. He was carried to the bathroom and thrown onto the floor. The tile was cold beneath him, and the lights were too harsh, nearly blinding him. His knees started to color with bruises. Seth could almost see the mirror though it kept changing sizes around him. What had they given him? He was alone now, 
There were boxes in the bathtub, but the rest of the room was devoid of any personal items. Seth checked his pockets. His wallet and keys had disappeared. He crawled on the tile, looking for any loose pieces he could use as a makeshift weapon. Everything was stuck in place. Blood dripped down his back to the floor, leaving a messy trail around him. He reached behind himself and felt a flap of skin untethered from his body. Seth emptied what little acid was left in his stomach into the toilet. His stomach clenched as he lifted himself to his knees. He knew what he needed to do next. He just hoped he wouldn't pass out in the process. Using the counter for leverage, Seth pulled himself to his feet. In the harsh light of the fluorescence, he got his first look at himself. The skin of his lower back was hanging limply to the side. There was a bright red square where pink epidermis should have been. Muscles had been torn through, and something gray and purple seemed to be throbbing beneath the strands. He wanted to touch the area, confirm that it was real, but there were voices by the door. Veronica came in. Her body had returned to normal, though her eyes were harder than before. This wasn't the woman from the bar who glided through life. This was a predator who was growing frustrated with her prey. She was ready to end it. The bartender blocked the bathroom doorway with his body. Seth wouldn't be fast enough to crawl through the bartender's legs, and he could already feel the adrenaline leaving his system. His body was starting to sag with the weight of having to stand, his muscles protesting every moment. He should run. He should call for help. He should do something. But the pain was sinking in through his bones. Every bit of strain he'd experienced, from the bar to the hotel room, from the bed to the tile, throbbed and then screamed, sending scorching flashes of white through his mind. Veronica stabbed him with a needle. He looked down. There is a syringe sticking out of his arm. Before he had time to ask questions, he was sliding to the floor in a heap of torn skin and exposed insides. Seth was cold. The world was out of focus again, but his head felt clearer. Whatever he was sitting on was digging into his body uncomfortably. He tried to sit up, but found himself sinking down. The corners of something jabbed at his skin. Seth's vision started to clear, and he looked around. He was in a bathtub full of ice. The door to the bathroom was open. He couldn't hear Veronica or the bartender anywhere. Still, he crept slowly out of the tub and towards the bedroom. It was empty. On the dresser mirror, someone had written a note in lipstick, or maybe blood. Don't worry. You only need one kidney. In April of 1991, the first season of Law & Order ran an episode with the title Sonata for a Solo Organ. 
In it, a wealthy Rockefeller type tells a kidney specialist to obtain an organ match for his dying daughter, any way possible. The doctor searches a medical database and steals the kidney from a black family man, only to leave him in the park, hoping he'll bleed out. The writer of the episode claims to have been told about an organ theft by a friend, and the friend had been certain it came from a newspaper. But when fact-checking came around, neither could find the article. The only possible candidate that fits the timeline is a report from the British press in 1989 about one Ahmet Koch, who claimed to have gone in for a medical check mandated by his new Turkish employers, only to wake up in the hospital missing a kidney. In reality, Coach and three other men sold their kidneys to organ brokers in 1988, but the initial report caused hysteria in the United Kingdom. The 1991 Law and Order adaptation of the story forms an interesting bridge between the Latin American and North American iterations of the tale. It is primarily the victims that change. Rather than children, the United States' take on the illicit organ trade involves rings of highly organized criminals using a femme fatale to lure unsuspecting businessmen to their hotel room. Versions of this tale are connected to sin cities in the country, particularly Las Vegas and New Orleans. As email chain letters became more popular in the late 90s, the New Orleans police put up a separate webpage to address the many concerns that were voiced to them about phantom organ thieves. When speaking with the Washington Post, Brunvond was quick to point the logical fallacies within the story. Organs have to be moved into another host quickly in order to remain viable, and it's not a product that could be sold easily due to the risk of organ rejection by the new host. Folklorist Peter Bardis saw this urban legend as a way for people to address more modern anxieties about limited access to medical care. He cited news stories about wealthy people receiving better medical care as major contributors to the legend. And the ever-growing wait list for organ donations only lends itself to this fear. Thanks to the media, like the TV show The Venture Brothers and YouTube hit Charlie the Unicorn, so-called kidney heists have become kind of a dark joke. But the joke persists, even though the circulation of the urban legend reached its height in the mid to late 90s. It begs the question, why do we keep sounding the alarm, even in jest? Surgical anxiety is understandably common, and the reality that surgeries can and do go wrong makes that anxiety even more justified. Any sort of sedation or surgery places the patient in an extremely vulnerable state, and we have no idea what has happened until we wake. The market surrounding organ donation, surrogacy, and other so-called bodily services is hotly debated in both philosophical and medical circles, as activists point out the class issues and economic pressures that would cause a person to contemplate giving a kidney or any organ to a stranger. Some even argue that the rumored black market equivalents of these systems are already putting the poor at much greater risk than legalized organ selling ever could. So-called transplant tourism, where a patient arranges to have their surgery in another country due to increased organ availability, 
is still a major worry for anti-human trafficking organizations. The American Transplant Foundation reports that an estimated 20 Americans die every day from the lack of available organs. We all fear death, but perhaps we also fear what we'll do to avoid it. How many of us are just one scalpel and one ice bath away from salvation? Do we truly fear having our kidneys stolen? Or is the horror in this story that of becoming the kidney thieves ourselves? Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend and on Thursday with a new haunted place. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Until tomorrow, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Carrie Murphy. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Richet. I'm Greg Polson.